Welcome to Legacy Game Changer. Our mission is to help you make, save, and grow your money. I'm your host, Vanetta Rogers, accountant, tax repair, certified money coach, insurance agent, and travel agent. Today, my guest is Randy Wakefield. He and I will be discussing who controls your money. Randy has been a guest on my show several times. Randy, can you tell the audience your, your, your financial background? My financial background is uh, in uh, investment banking and uh, also domestic banking and international bank, if that makes any sense. So um, I'm very intimate with what we charge folks for uh, mutual funds and uh, all those wonderful fees that we we made over the years uh, when I was there um, dealing with investment banking. And I'm also intimately familiar with the the personal banking side and, and actually found that to be a little bit more interesting on the operations side. So I'm an operations guy, no matter how you look at it, but I, um, my passion and deep love for banking is tied to actually being in control of our money and uh, making sure that we know what that means and is entailed. Okay. So who, how do we determine who, who's controlling our money? Well, it, it's it's real simple. Is it's who whoever the banks just have this great job of being the receiver of pretty much everyone's money. <laughs> you know, uh, so if you're a banker, you are stewarding other people's money, and your job is actually to go and take that money, um, and, and on behalf of the stockholders of the bank versus banks that used to, you know, like credit unions used to go in and make money for their deposit holders. Um, the What's real important these days is that the uh, stockholders get a return on their investment. And that means money that's sitting in an account doing nothing is, is, is actually uh, – losing money for the bank that because they have to pay even though it's a fractional amount of interest <laughs> to uh savers now um that's still losing money now what they do is they take a good portion of that um you know depending on what the reserve percentage is and they can take that money and lend it to folks and, and in fact that's generally what they do because when the bank has money on deposit that is actually deemed uh, by the bank as a liability i know that sounds like a strange thing to say but it, it, it's an issue of control the bank actually has more control when it actually has money coming in so when they lend that money out and usually with collateral or through credit cards or that sort of thing and they've got money coming in and they charge fees and they make interest and then when that money comes back in uh, and, and it gets used over and over and over again, which means the bank has a lot of control uh, by taking the money that comes in every single day. And they, it's called it's the, the retail and wholesale, wholesale side of things. They go in and they just pay nominal amount of interest. That's, that's kind of, um, uh, you know the, the the real retail part of that, and then what they do is they take an aggregate of that, like uh, in, in a treasury department, uh, uh, invest in ex foreign exchange. They do arbitrage on foreign exchange markets. I mean, there is just a multitude 
of them putting every single dollar that goes through uh, and and their their coffers and putting it to work, and that's how, how they it, make money. How do we end up? Because I remember when I first opened up a bank account, I used to get five or six percent interest. Now you get less than one. How do we go from five to six percent in the regular savings account to less less than one percent? Well, it, yeah, it, what man, Zanetta? There's a number mm-hmm. of factors and and. Just to keep it as simple as possible, um, what we have in essence, and this is just m- my opinion of how things have manifested, and it, it is not a scholarly or scientific <laughs> explanation. So let me be clear: what what it what has happened is we have in this country in the past forty years we have had an investor class that has been able to come in and. and establish more and more and more influence with our members of Congress. And by doing so, uh, you know, you've heard of Milton Friedman, who used to be one of my heroes Mm -hmm. and still is to a degree, but Milton Friedman, the whole objective of, of investing our investors and investor class is to maximize profits. And so with that maximize profit situation, what they've been able to do, is regulate in a manner and a way that in the name of consumer protection, but in reality, they have regulated and consolidated uh, the market in such a way, all of these banks, if you remember, when you were paying, being paid 5%, there were quite a few banks out there. Do you yeah. remember that? Yes, I remember you, that. Are there many banks out there right now? No. That's why I think that I, I prefer the credit union. At least I get a little bit more bang for my buck. Well, you you do. You you do. Yeah. And and the credit union has to compete with a bank that has what's called fractional lending. And and the, to a degree, the, the, I think the credit unions can do that, but not to the same degree. Mm-hmm. So they don't have that sort of leverage where they can go in and literally create money from nothing. Okay. And the reserve banking and the fractional where there is a 10% reserve that they have to, to, to keep in place. But what they can do is uh, the banks, be, and just because of, of how the Fed operates and everything else, we, the banks literally can lend, uh, a, a, you know, $90 on every $10 that's out there. If it's a 10%, you know, out of $100, they can keep, $10 in reserve, usually in, oh, bank-owned life insurance policies on their key employees, mm-hmm. by the way. Okay, that's their tier one reserve. Mm-hmm. And then they can go literally go and just lend uh, uh, and put that money out there. And, and uh, you know, generally the, the reserve ratios used to be significantly higher for uh, these banking institutions. And, and so you had to be, they had to be very careful in terms of how conservative they were. But what they've done is by going in and doing this high volume um, of, of lending that they're doing is they are putting, they're accelerating what they can do with the dollars that they have. And they're leveraging it in a significant way that credit unions generally can't do and and other financial institutions aren't able to do. The banks have a very unique position 
by being able to do that. And the financial institutions, like the investment banking side of things, is because of the way that there's been market consolidation and because of the mutual fund industry and all of the confusion that's been established within the financial industry, we are kept in the dark about how money actually works. And one of the fundamental things of the way that money works is very simple. It's the deposit process. It's that that money that's being put into these institutions is being put to work. Uh, and right now it's being put to work in favor of the investor class. Every one of these large banks and, and the huge vast majority of, of money being deposited are in just a few of these conglomerates. And so what we have is in our banking, all of the money and the most of the money that, that everyday Joe makes like you and me uh, is being controlled by just a few institutions. And so the market consolidation for the investor class has enabled them to create monopoly profits for themselves because there is less and less and less competition while it is increasingly more difficult for people to enter the banking market because the entry to, to market to these markets is prohibitive and next to impossible. So how much control do I have over my 401k? <laughs> well, that's okay. We've gone from banking into the financial uh, institutions like Morgan Stanley, like mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, Goldman Sachs. And, and, and with those guys, what we're dealing with is you've got two things working against you with that. You know, people say, oh, yeah, I'm putting 50, you know, Dave Ramsey tells me to put 15% of my income or maximize my, say, you know, my money, you know. Uh, buy term and, and invest the rest. Yeah. The problem is, is when you're investing 15% of your income and you're putting it in institutions that re, that are are sanctioned by the U.S. government. How convenient. So, and, and I'm not I'm not bashing the U.S. Mm-hmm. government or these institutions. What I'm I'm saying is the reality is they've been able to do it, and and they're get they're I I. I I'm criticizing them, but I'm not bashing them. I, I mean, it, they would be idiots not to take advantage of this. But what we have to understand as consumers is that we have no control of that 15% that we're putting in there because the U.S. government will penalize us 10% if we try to pull that money out without borrowing it uh, if, if we're uh, under age 59 and a half. And, it penalizes uh, you and then still tax you. Yes, ma'am. And they tax you at whatever tax rate it is. That's correct. And and so it and all in the name of deferred taxation. And and what people don't realize is that one you know, they say, Oh well, look at compound interest or how compound accumulation really helps. Well, what people don't understand that the compound tax liability is also uh you know, compound interest and comp, uh, compound uh, accumulation takes place for the tax liability in the future. And when we're at historically low interest rates uh, and, and, and tax, not ta- interest rates, but tax, well, we are at low interest rates, but tax rates, we are at historically low tax rates. And right now is the time for people to be taking money out of these tax deferred accounts 
because we have thirty trillion dollars in debt, mm-hmm. well, and it is incomprehensible. Oh my God! It's and just we get ready to fall for that. What's that? If they, if they don't pass the bill within the next couple of days, we're going to default on that well, on that loan. Well, apparently, yeah, that's yeah. that's another story in and of itself. Mm-hmm. But none of us wants to manage our money like the federal government is managing right now. Yeah, none of us yeah. do. They, 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 and so because the government is not in control of how it spends its money, it's just not. And $30 trillion is evidence of that. And the re- they can print the money. We can't. And so mm-hmm. for our situation is we, the wealthy in this country have been able, and the investor class have been able to go in and create something called family offices. Okay. And they've been able to go in and create their own financial systems similar to the banks, not quite because they they're, they're, they can't do their fractional banking there, which is, you know, you, where, where there's reserves and you can go and live like that, but you can still take advantage of putting all the assets, all of your cash to work. And the only way that you can do that is to build up enough liquidity, enough cash in interest earning instruments that are that our savings accounts used to look like but they don't anymore but there are actually savings vehicles out there that actually reside and dwell within whole life insurance policies and these are mutually these policies are are established and, and uh they're they're legal agreements with mutually owned life insurance companies and their job is to uh, create a, a, a is number one is to prudently protect the assets of, of the policyholders, and and that means not lose the money that's being accumulated. And the way they do that is actually they lend money to the policyholders and secure it via the cash deposit that is there in being held by the policyholders, and they will charge generally. It's a you know it's a floating rate, but the the it's usually about five percent. But the the thing about this is the way the only way that we maintain or establish control is to have liquidity and have uh, enough liquidity that it enables us to cover uh, uh, um, to invest uh, and collateralize. The Life Sunday Collection, where exotic elegance meets luxury. Our collection is a one-stop shop. Whether it's a woman looking for her favorite product line or a husband looking for his own favorite product that he steals from his wife's collection, or you could be shopping for a gift, the Life Sunday Collection is your new favorite one-stop shop. The Life Sunday Collection is a world-class hair care company. Our products are multi-universal and multi-ethnic. Our luxury products are 100% sulfate-free, paraben-free, formaldehyde-free, and DEA-free. Our line of products are the best of the best, from our ingredients to our premium platinum virgin 12 gray A hair. We are the total collection. 
Shop the total collection where exotic elegance meets luxury at the likesundaycollection.com. You can also find us on Instagram underneath the Like Sunday Collection. The Like Sunday Collection, where exotic elegance meets luxury. We are the total collection. Hello, this is Samantha Rogers. Join me on Wednesday at 5 p.m. for my new podcast, Legacy Game Changers. Every Wednesday at 5 p.m., join me and we are talking about finance, education, and wealth building for you and your family to leave a legacy for your loved ones. Once again, that's Legacy Game Changers, Wednesday at 5 p.m. Oh, thank you for listening to Legacy Game Changers. We are back with Randy. And Randy, um, why is the current financial plan failing so many people? Well, because it's not based on sound financial principles. And and the, the, the sound financial principle or the foundation of banking, uh, Banking 101, is that you uh, need to basically be the lender instead of, and you need to be the saver and also the lender, okay? Now you, you have to create, a, banks are there and they go in and they create, um, I mean, it, it's real expensive. Uh, and I, I shared with you before, I, I, was, I tried to set up a bank in Bermuda back in 1994 and had an investor with $250 million and we needed 2.5 billion in assets. Um, so, it tells you the scale and why investors are being involved rather than deposit holders, okay? But the, the long story uh, made short is real simple. We have these whole life insurance policies that in essence can become the deposit or the, the same kind of chest or container that can hold cash that the banks do because we can actually gain access to that money that we are quote unquote saving in our whole life policies where we're guaranteed three to 4% a year guaranteed and being paid dividends, usually a minimum of about 2% dividends on that money. So that's gonna be about five to 6% on average. Um, and, and again, I, I, I want to qualify that and say that that's not that part, the dividend part is not guaranteed. But in general, most of these mutually owned life insurance companies pay dividends uh, no less than the, the one to two percent, and, and usually it's over two percent. So, what I'm what I want to be clear on about this is that if we can create these containers for cash, just like the banks do. And it happens to be our own money that instead of us doing the 401k and the tax deferred side of things, not guess what happens in this if we do this the right way, none of this these dividends and guaranteed returns are going to be taxed. Okay, so it's it's not it, it is a um, 
in essence, a legalized tax-free zone, which is something to be looking at it very seriously as, as you gain more income and as tax rates increase in the coming years. So what's critically important here is whole life insurance policies are not investments. Okay, well, I want to very be, be very clear. If it is a savings vehicle and it is used for collateralization purposes to invest, ideally, in my view, and this is my opinion, in cash flowing assets. And why cash flowing assets? The banks do will do you ever see these banks lend money out for more than a year or 30 years without having a monthly return of principal plus interest, or at least a monthly return of interest. You just don't ever see anything where it just sits there and does nothing. The banks don't do that. So why would we as individuals not expect the same that banks do? Why would we not copy what banks do if, if, it, if it makes sense? And what happens is when we have principal plus interest always coming back to us, we can go and invest that again and yes we can lend that money smartly and we can we can go in and, and, and the whole point of this is to create cash is to invest in cash flowing assets that we can as that money goes back in and as we go in and create additional cash flow in our own life through entrepreneurial activities along with our own jobs then what we do is we build up that cash flow to eventually in, uh, create enough cash flowing assets to replace our earned income, and then we can become financially independent. The so issue what, is, can, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. What part? What part does budgeting play and taking control of our finances? Oh, it, it's everything. You because if we don't tell our money what to do when we receive it. Then, you know, and we, you know, we all, we have 50% of our expenses to 80% of our expenses have to go out no matter what. But if we're not conscious of it and it's passive on our part, we rarely have the capacity to sit there and save 10 to 20% of our income. And there's a good rule of thumb. And I, I shared some information with you a, a few days ago, Zanetta, and I really like this ratio where it's 50%, 30%, 20%. And 50% of our income, we know go to fixed expenses that we really, you know, that are firmly established and, and, and can't play with. 30% go to variable expenses. And 20% ideally, and this is, this is ideal because so many people aren't making the kind of income that they need to be, because of past mistakes and they're, they're, they're having to pay so much in debt. But ideally, where they can save 20% of their income every single month. And that's the goal. If it has to be 5%, and then 15% goes to paying off those credit card bills and those things that are killing us on those monthly payments, on the, on the cars that we shouldn't have bought that were too expensive, or, or you know, we've all made those mistakes. And we set us, mm -hmm. and we pay that budgeting process. It's becoming very conscious about that and sitting down and going, okay, this and this and this. Because most people, because they don't pay attention to that, end up overspending 
because they haven't accounted for every one of their every penny. And what happens is they almost always overspend and they almost always have to go and pull on those credit cards when they do that. And they, my thing is I can't use the ATM debit cards because I have to, I'm old fashioned. I have to have cash because I know when the cash go out my hand, it's spent. But if I use a credit card all the time, I don't know what I'm spending until I get, until I get the report. And I don't like that. It just, it just throws my whole budget off. <laughs> well, it, it, well, exactly. And and so now listen, credit cards are awesome. I, I love credit cards. Okay. And the reason I love credit cards is I can make those points off of those, mm. but I hate credit cards if I leave a balance on them because they're charging me eight, you know, anywhere from fifteen to twenty-three to twenty-four, and now up to twenty-seven point five percent interest. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It so, is. So if we're going to do that, and how, you know, it's like, so you know, like my wife and I, we've agreed that you know, and. and because you know we handle we're handling our money well and we've been able to save a lot of money lately because uh of of the the whole life policies that we've been using and and, and because we understanding how we understand how banking works but we're not good enough in our budgeting so budgeting is critically important initially and then because you want to have a system in place that enables you to see where you've told your money to go and and i use mint.com and my wife and i over these next few weeks and and i've already shared you need a budget with you before but my wife and i are actually going to be spending the next five to six uh, uh i mean five or six hours a week for the next month going through you need a budget going through their videos and the two of us together are going to work on this and and work out because you need a budget happens to work beautifully together with whole life insurance policies and how we allocate those things. And and the, the, the cash that we have in our whole life policies has a job and we're putting it to work and we're doing we're telling every single dollar where to go when we when we get that income. We divvy out and we tell it, okay, it goes to, this goes to the rent or this goes to the mortgage. This goes to the credit cards that we just <laughs> spent. <laughs> and, and so when you can look at that daily and, and mm-hmm. see your credit or weekly and look at your credit card, what you spend in your credit card, you have, your, because you've got it plugged in to the budget program. And then you've got That's this correct. mint.com that gives you the history of how you spent your money. Well, Randy, I really appreciate you being on my show. Um, I have to get you to come back again so we can discuss uh, more financial information. Oh, my pleasure. And I, my gosh, I hope it was helpful. That's a lot of information. Oh, yes, it has been. You have been great, Randy, as usual. Um, this has been Legacy Game Changer. I thank you for listening. And once again, if you need to reach me, you can reach me at LegacyGameChangers at gmail.com or 443-906-3882. Have a blessed day.